Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We greatly appreciate you listening and finding us. We're busy today. We really were. Dr. Isaac Bogus was on the show. What month and year is this? Okay, it's more about the end of potential mandates, mask mandates specifically for hospitals, for long-term care, and for transit as well. Not much we can do and talk about the vaccine mandates, uh, which is another topic entirely. The federal government says we're not touching those until the end of June. We've got Troy Reeb on the show, Executive Vice President of Chorus Entertainment. It's the Chorus Upfronts, and that means new shows for Global. But we talk about some enduring shows as well. Survivor, deep into its third decade, and Saturday Night Live, well into its fifth decade. Why have these shows persevered and been the success stories and growing success stories after so long? All that coming up on Toronto Today, which starts now. And I feel great talking to you today. Little less great is um, the idea that we didn't do all we could to keep schools open. Gets debated a fair bit, doesn't it? It even came up last week going into the provincial election is schools. And it was well debated and well documented that Ontario closed schools longer than anybody else did. And part of the problem was I think you had a government that may have been doing it because of polling, because they thought that's what their constituents wanted. Now, sometimes, as you know, oh my gosh, in 2022, there is a vocal minority and they may not speak for everybody, but if they're loud enough, then they'll they'll make enough noise that you you start to get overwhelmed and think, wait a minute, are there more of them than less of them? Wait, even more. Are there as many of them as there are of the rest of us that are not wanting schools to close and that are willing to send our kids Especially in the spring last year, that was a big controversy, closing schools for the last 10 weeks in the spring. All that factored in. Well, uh, some parents wanted a lot more information than was out there. And a group of parents were looking for answers. The Ontario Families Coalition has spent basically a year trying to understand what science are you using here? Were you right? Were you wrong? I mean, these are really fair questions. I know there's a lot of people, come on, it's all over. It's in the past. What can we do now? We'll have a better plan for the future. Businesses have contingency plans all the time. Businesses look and say, ah, we got that right. We got that wrong. What were the decisions that went into what we got right and what we got wrong? I think those are important things to do and questions to ask. So they got a freedom information request together and they got emails. And that showed that the data was pretty scant. It's pretty scant. Often not taking students into consideration at all. I know. You're shocked. The, the Ford government closes schools and the opposition parties say, oh, no, if only schools could have remained open. Well, Doug Ford, smaller class sizes, wants to privatize education. No, 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 no. Should they be open or should they not? Is it safe for the kids and teachers or isn't it? Mike Pritchard's an organizer with the Ontario Families Coalition, and we were able to have a conversation um, about this particular issue, and it starts with, Mike saying, like, I asked him exactly what went into wanting to get all this proper information. Well, I think a lot of parents in Ontario, they're just asking, like, what, what the heck's happening? Like, uh, who's making these decisions? Uh, why have my kids lost months of school? And this isn't happening elsewhere, you know? Um, uh, we just wanted some straight answers of what was happening, who knew what, who was driving the decisions. What we found was that there's very little mention of students at all in any of these emails. There's a lot of like uh, waffling and indecision in these emails and, and uh, a lack of leadership. They're just making some reactive decisions based on things like 
polling and optics and you know what they want uh, the public to do based on their decision. Is is there anything you or your organization would have wanted from um, some of the figureheads of the opposition parties? What did you think at the time when when you when you heard some of the the, the you know the, I guess the the naysayers towards the provincial government talking and shrugging their shoulders, saying, "Yeah, I wish there was something we could do." Well, and that, that's what really uh, sort of fired me up and got our group moving and going on this is, you know, the World Health Organization said schools must be the last to close and they must be the first thing to open. And we had golf courses open, we had patios open before schools. It, it was crazy. And that really motivated us. Like European Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they said the exact same thing, like last to close, first to open. And somehow that, that sort of tagline never caught on here by any of the opposition. It wasn't sort of the guiding principle of our response. And I think a lot of people now see that. they It's not happening elsewhere. Uh, Ontario is an outlier. In, it has the longest school closures in North America. And uh, yeah, parents are upset about it. What's the next step to, to keep a conversation going or at least engage um, the Ministry of Education here? Well, the Ontario Families Coalition uh, demands an independent inquiry into the handling of this of the pandemic related school closures and a determination as to whether the longest school closures in Canada and, and North America and some of the longest of any jurisdiction in the world, what the proven harms to students were and whether they were justified and supported by science. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure this will come out in a wash, but we're trying to speed this process up. We need a independent, like nonpartisan inquiry into what the heck happened. Are you hopeful? Are you hopeful there's there's buy-in from, uh, as I mentioned, the either the opposition parties in the province or even some local school boards, chief medical officers of health. Who do you need on your side, Mike, to make that happen? Well, I think now that the election's over, there might be more opportunity for uh, bipartisan uh, agreement and, and work together. I think uh, as the studies come out, as more and more doctors are speaking out, that we'll start to get a consensus that we need to do better and that we can't allow this to happen again in our province. Like millions of kids were harmed. It's irrefutable. It's the finite time that you lose, but then it's, you can't just, it's not pressing pause on, you know, a VCR or, or, you know, a DVD player and then just starting up again. Cause a lot was lost in that time. It's, it's the time that's lost, but also to regain where you're at. It's not unlike, now you stop working out for eight months. I guess I'll just go back to doing what I was doing eight months ago. Your body's not, your body and your brain aren't going to respond the same way as they were at that eight month beginning, they won't. Yeah, and like the Ontario Science Table had, um, I, I can't remember off them off the top of my head, but they had um, an assessment and a, a numerical value of what they estimated the economic costs of lost learning were, you know, in terms of both uh, earning potential of those students and the uh, provincial GDP, very significant, you know, and, and of course that's uh, the closures disproportionately affected uh, our, our most uh, vulnerable students in Ontario. Um, I want to thank you for, for doing this as a parent. And I know um, I spoke to a few listeners who knew you'd be coming on with us and they would say the same thing. And I know you said you're not a journalist, but you're doing the work of one. And, uh, and without, you know, naming names, there were journalists that probably should have done this a few months ago and, and pushed that a little harder and, instead of accepting just everything, you know, as at face value. So um, thank you for coming on with me. Thank you for doing this. And I hope we can stay in touch towards the uh, end of the summer and see, see if we get some answers and see if we get closer to this. I think more knowledge is always better than less knowledge. So let's find out what happened here and try and prevent it again. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me. Um, you know, the system isn't supposed to work this way. We, 
as you mentioned, we have a free press. We have freedom of information laws. We, we can access public records in this country to, to get the answers. Who was making the decisions? Why? And was there proper cost-benefit analysis done based on the best available factual information? Mm. You know, parents are upset now. Their, their, their kids were harmed and we need to figure out what happened. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, uh, I'm, on, I'm on clearly on one side of the fence on this. Thank you very much for spending the time. And I know we'll talk again. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. Thank you. That's Mike Pritchard from the Ontario Families Coalition. Um, our next guest, uh, infectious diseases specialist, um, and uh, we, we have him back now to talk about the mandates potentially ending this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about this latest public health uh, guidelines. It's been a while. Dr. Isaac Bogush, it's great to have you back on. Always great to chat. How's your day so far? Really great. It's even better now that we're talking to you. But but I'm sure again, I, I don't doubt that you're letting some calls go to voicemail from time to time in the last few weeks. Here we have it. We have this not a theme song for you, but we have this as an intro for you. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. You're like, not those <laughs> not that show. Not we don't because we don't call you and say, should you wear a mask at the Jays game? We don't call you and say, yeah, is yeah, it yeah. safe to gather for Victoria Day? Will it right. be safe to gather? For, what about elementary school outdoor graduations? Because I think yeah. we there's been some evolution in our in our talks, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, been there, done that. We're moving on to bigger and high profile uh, macro level topics. Absolutely, a hundred percent. So that brings me to so I drive with my parents. I picked them up in London. We meet uh, my uncle and aunt who came up from Ohio, and we meet in Windsor yesterday. They're fiddling with this Arrive Can app, and it, it did occur to me: it is odd that fully vaccinated people from Ohio need to have the Arrive Can app on their phone to cross the border at Windsor, but they do. And this weekend, it's a big call on uh, mandates regarding transit, specifically masks, because um, the federal government said we're not touching the vaccination issue till the end of the month. What do you see here for mask mandates on transit when it looks comes to other big cities or what, what the city of Toronto should be doing? Yeah, so... Obviously, masks. Let's just start off with always contentious. Everyone's got strong opinions. Let's just focus on science and policy. Do the masks help? Yeah, they probably do help a little bit. They absolutely do. It's not like they do nothing. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're in the era where anyone can find one study that suits their preconceived ideas. But when you put it all together, masks probably still help a little bit at a population level. And of course, at an individual level. They're not perfect, we all acknowledge that. The second point is that, you know, there's certain settings where, uh, you know, masking is, is, is more important, right? Like healthcare settings or settings where people don't have any, uh, uh, they have to be there. They need to be in a grocery store. They need to be in a, in a, you know, on public transportation. There's no other way to get through their daily lives. The third point too is risk changes with time. Okay. It's not like we're in the pre-vaccine era. It's not like we're in the middle of a massive wave right now. And, mm -hmm. and the policy should adjust to the current risk. And the, and the current risk right now is markedly lower than it was one month, two months, three months ago. So let's put it all together. And then I think the fourth thing that people forget is, you know, there's public health guidance, but this is also, um, you know, you're, you're, you've got to reflect the will of the people as well. And, uh, you know, there might be the right thing to do from a science standpoint, but if the vast majority of people don't want to do it, then you don't do it. So I, I think when you put all that, all those together, it, it, it's complicated and it's nuanced. And I think, you know, we're, we obviously saw mass mandates have been lifted 
in most settings. There's most parts of Ontario, most parts of Canada, you don't need to wear a mask. You can wear a mask if you want to, but there's these very few areas that are left with masking, public transportation, healthcare settings. I'm honestly very curious to see what they do with this. Yeah, um, me too. One thing, though, is I would, I'm not, obviously, I don't have a crystal ball. I would bet money that in healthcare settings, at least, we're going to continue with the mask mandate. Even if the provincial rules say, no, you don't need to in healthcare settings, mm-hmm. then I bet individual healthcare settings will say, yes, you're going to continue to, we're going to continue to do this. Will hospitals have the jurisdiction to do that? Hospital, uh, will hospitals be able to to make their own set of rules um, based on that? I think so, but I don't want to speak out of line, but I yeah. think they will be able to. But I, I, again, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer to that. I think some of the, I, I think a few things about what you said, and you put it perfectly, but the, it, it, because of the contentiousness of it, I, what I hear from people is people who've recently had Omicron, and again, define recently, I don't know, in the last six, eight weeks. I guess if people had it in December, they're certainly more susceptible than if they just had it in April or May. But that's the one thing I hear from people. They say, why? thank goodness it's not in school. If if my seven-year-old recovered from Omicron and I wanted the masks off him anyway for seven yeah. hours a day in a school setting, I, I watched politicians, kind of the, the popular ones who were running for election last week, who recovered from Omicron wearing N95s outside. And I think they're influential people. Like I, you can't get it again so fast, and you're not infectious. Uh, I, yeah. So I that that confuses people sometimes. We know this. I completely agree. And you know, obviously, if we could rewind time and start from the beginning, it would be wonderful to have more science-based, evidence-based discussions. Let you know, work towards uh, less uh, polarization, less fewer partisan policies, less politicization of this issue. But, you know, we also can't ignore that giant country that sits on our southern border. And, of Mm. course, a lot of that information sneaks up here. And, you know, I think we'd be foolish to think that there's some impenetrable wall between them and us. And, you know, a lot of those ideas and ideologies, of course, come north. And, and, you know, yeah, we're not anywhere near to the same extent uh, of politicizing mass and, and other public health interventions as they are. But we still do. And this is still an issue in Canada. And uh, and again, like you're right. Like if someone has recently recovered from a COVID-19 infection, they're probably the safest person to be around. <laughs> they yeah. are like they're just not going to get reinfected, you mm-hmm. know, five minutes later. And, you know, it's OK to say that it's OK mm-hmm. to acknowledge that it's OK to behave accordingly. It's OK mm-hmm. to have policies that align with that. Um, you know, I think we have a much more health literate population right now than we did, of course, two years ago. Listen, we're having conversations about like never in my wildest dreams would I think we'd be chatting about N95 versus surgical masks, PCR, mRNA vaccines. And that's right. Like, yeah, this is, this is the public lexicon. We're, people are smart. Treat adults like adults. Give them smart information and good information. Mm-hmm. So they can make smart decisions for themselves, and I think we could do a lot of good. Yeah, and and that's why I love talking to you because you, I, to me, you've never sort of prescribed one. At least it's since the vaccines, you've never prescribed one size fits all. You right. know, re- guidelines. What's the same for an eighty year old isn't for a forty year old, isn't for a ten yeah. year old. Then there's other comorbidities involved. I got about ninety seconds. I want you to give me as much as you can on the Public Health Agency of Canada's guidelines about monkeypox. I think two things quickly. One. I worry anything coming now is is falling on deaf ears because of people being exhausted from COVID specifically. But is there any 
benefit. I don't see it when it comes to the masks and monkeypox. I, I don't I, I guess people can be aware of it. What's what should be considered here um, for, for warnings about monkeypox? Let's timestamp this conversation. I know we don't have a ton of time. Yeah. We're talking early, early June. Okay, we have fewer than 100 cases in the country. Yes, this will grow. Yes, this will expand. Yes, of course, we have to be aware of it. And yes, we need a fast, coordinated, uh, comprehensive public health response from federal, provincial, and municipal levels. All that is true. But your current risk right this minute in Canada is extraordinarily small. And again, time stamping this conversation, this is going to grow. And if we don't have a robust public health response, it's going to continue to grow. So the current risk right now is extraordinarily low for the general public. Uh, If you, again, no stigma, no discrimination, love and respect to all, but it's higher in some demographics and including uh, if, uh, men who have sex with men and, and those and people who are having multi, who have multiple sexual partners. Again, no stigma, no discrimination, no. love and respect to all. But it, the risk is a little bit higher in that cohort. And, and again, if, if you want to get, attack the problem and get the problem under control, we have to acknowledge where the issue is primarily right now. And of course, this is a communicable infection. It's not going to stay in one demographic for long if we don't get this under control. So bring people into the fold, have a respectful, inclusive outbreak response, involve effective communities in the communication and to lead the outbreak response. And we have the ability to eliminate this and to get this under control in Canada. Let's do everything we can to do so. Is any form of recommended masking hyperbolic and and a bit of an overreaction to rare cases of something that you just documented has mostly, mostly been transmitted via sexual contact? So let's communicate a bit of uncertainty here. It's not fair to say that we know everything about this infection. Mm -hmm. It is fair to say that based on what we know, yeah, it's direct contact and very close proximity for prolonged periods of time. That's what we know so far. But we also know this is closely related to smallpox. This is, it's, of course, it's not, not smallpox. We also know that, yeah, sure, there, of course, can be transmission through the air between people and, and infection from that. But that's, again, based on what we know, uh, the vast minority of, of, um, of cases. But again, I'm, I'm still open-minded to this. And, like, let's put it this way. If I'm caring for someone who's got suspected or known monkeypox, yeah. I'm going to put on an N95 mask and yeah. care for that person in that setting. But, like, am I going to walk down the street uh, in, you know, Toronto uh, with an N95 mask because I've heard of a handful of cases of monkeypox? No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm absolutely not. I think it's very context-dependent and setting-dependent on what we do to protect ourselves. You're the best, Dr. Bogosh. Thanks for the time this morning. Anytime. Have a great day. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease specialist. Okay, it's our four-for-four four quiz. Uh, Jason Chapman has our four-for-four four quiz today. It's about Justin Bieber. You know, that's what the quiz is about oh, today. Good. Because in, yes, yes, that was the reaction <laughs> I was looking for. What was the name of Justin's debut album? My Girl, My House, My Life, or My World? Greg, kick us off. Oh, God. My Girl's the uh, Macaulay Culkin Anna Klumsky movie, and that, and that ends really, really badly. Yeah, sad. So I think it's My World, not My Girl. Those were the only two oh. I was considering. My World. My Gord, the believer of all of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was my house. And what was the other one? that? My life, my girl, my world. Well, let's go with my life. 
Okay, and David? I actually was thinking that, too. He was 13 at the time, I think, wasn't he, when he released his first album? All those but trials to, and tribulations yeah, you know, in the first 12 years of life, life, I'm going to write about this them. point, so I'm going to say no. my life. No, uh, he had a lot to talk about, My World, no. and the hit song from that album, Gord, play it, baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I know this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my world, okay? Yeah. All right, Greg, well done. Question two. Well, Dave says what? to me every morning, hey, baby. What? And I'm like, listen. <laughs> no, no, listen, I we've should. spoken no, about this. Now let's talk. What's up, hon? <laughs> I have to get someone else to talk to you about it. Oh, hon, that's a bit better. I like that. <laughs> I didn't know you were at a diner in the morning. All right, what popular TV show did Justin Bieber guest star on in 2010? The Big Bang Theory, Glee, Law and Order SVU mm-hmm. or CSI? <laughs> David, kick us off. I got to go with Glee on that one. I think let's see the answer. Believer Gord. Yes. What's your answer? I believe it was CSI. What? And Mr. Brady? Uh, my write-in candidate is Dexter. He, uh, <laughs> Michael C. Hall trapped him in a warehouse and yeah, uh, yeah. proceeded to take out a hunting knife. No, it's Glee. It's abso- That's the era of Glee. Our house watched Glee for a good couple of years. Absolutely, yeah, it's well, Glee. You didn't watch it enough because our good friend, Gord, who I told you is a believer, is right. Oh. It was CSI. What? All right? It was awesome. I can't believe you guys didn't know this. This was epic. He was actually in twice. So he did the 2010 episode. And then in the spring of 2011, they brought him back. And he was 17 at the time. And he came back and he played the troubled teen, oh. Jason McCann. And this is what it sounded like at the end of the second episode. Give it a whirl, Gord. Hands on your head. You're down in your knees. He's wired. He's got a bomb. He's like, there's no bomb. Look, don't shoot. Don't shoot. Ah! Hold your fire. Stay down. And that's Jason McCann, or better known as Justin Bieber, on the floor dead. Wow. Shot he's dead. really he a, good. I didn't see the video, but that's a, he was really good with the audio. You could there. just feel the tension. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he was a bit of a brat on set, so the Hamilton Spectator told me. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. Gord, well done. Two for two, baby. Oh, no. Wait a second. No, Gord, just, sorry, Gord, you're one, and Greg, you're one. All right. Question brats three. on set. Gord's doing well so far. <laughs> in this. <laughs> All right. What song earned Justin Bieber his first Grammy Award? Was it Baby? Sorry? Despacito, or where are you now? Are we asking? I don't know, David. Go ahead. <laughs> Me again? What? Uh, yeah, are yeah. we supposed to buzz in? <laughs> sorry, rules change. I get, I get a, yeah, I get sorry, a, Gord. I didn't. Yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah. Um. Uh, sorry, I think is probably it. Maybe. <laughs> All right, Greg. Where are you now? And Gord. Oh, let's go with. Let's say it was uh, Despacito. All right. I wish it was Despacito. He should have won something for that. No, it was Where Are You Now? Well done, Greg. Thanks. And if you yeah, haven't heard the song, yeah. this is what it sounds like. I was by your side, so where are you now that I need you? Now, a, a little of, caveat auto, here. There's a bit of auto-tune there, isn't there? Yeah. There's a it won a Grammy for Best Dance Recording, just so you know. All right? So that was in 2015. I can, wow. I can use a bit of that auto-tune some mornings. Actually, could <laughs> the you? I can build that into our regular yeah. repertoire. I think so. <laughs> All right, uh, and uh, the last one for you guys. How many songs from Justin's debut album made the Billboard Hot 100? No, no multiple choice. Uh, Gord, you go first. Ah. How many? How many made the Billboard Hot 100? 100. Hot 100. Let's go four. 
All right, David. Uh, Gord stole my answer. <laughs> I'm going to go with... Uh, come with me. I have cookies. Three. <laughs> I'll go with three. Greg? All right, I was going to go with Gord four, but let's, let's line them up so we all have a fair shot of this. Two. Just the two. Ladies and gentlemen, seven. What? He became the first artist to have seven songs from a debut record chart on the Billboard Hot 100. He's a babe. I mean, the guy can, you know. Anyways, he was very popular back then. Are you then. sure Matthew so, Wilder didn't have seven? It was more. He was more than know just that break my sure. stride. You'll have to what? do. What? There was some more research. than just. I'm break really my sure stride. that it wasn't just break my stride. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Troy Reeb in studio. We never get in studio guests, so we'll take. We'll take Troy Reeb. We'll take. It's great to see faces. Executive Vice President of Chorus Entertainment. It's great to have you here. Fantastic to be here. It's uh, so so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Is it too dark in the room? I, it's not. It's not meant to, uh, you know, uh, elucidate the mood of the show. But it is. Dark. No, it's bright and airy. <laughs> the morning. That's that something it is. I, I don't get described as bright and airy uh, very uh, either, in either uh, in either context. We were talking about fall shows earlier, and it's so funny because uh, Survivor's back for another season on Global, and we were just talking on the weekend. Uh, my wife and I, and another couple, about the longevity of it and how. The show in reality television is more so much, but when it first came on, you would just talk about Survivor for an hour and a half the next morning. You would talk about uh, when Big Brother started, the, the, the original Bachelors and Bachelorettes. You still remember all those characters. Why does Survivor endure? We were trying to figure that out over the weekend. What's your thought on it? Well, I think it's because they've modernized the show in many ways. Um, you know, it, it still features that same old formula. But it, uh, it keeps up with the times in terms of the competitions that they have, in terms of the types of contestants that they have. It's amazing. They've had two Canadians in a row yes. as, the, uh, as the winners. I don't know what it is. They opened up the contest to uh, Canadians, full-blooded Canadians, a few years ago. And suddenly you've got two back-to-back <laughs> Canadian winners. It's no surprise it remains the number one show on Canadian television. Yes, it is the American version of Survivor, but it is far and away the most watched uh, program on Canadian TV, and uh, of course, it's right on global. It's on global, and there's not, there haven't been that many peaks and valleys. Like we see, Saturday Night Live has been around 45 years on global, also, and it goes through those peaks and valleys. And sometimes the best Saturday Night Live seasons when you were in college. Like my parents are going to prefer John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, and I'll be like, no, 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 Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman. Like it goes generationally, but whole families sit down and watch Survivor. We've done that for years, and we move in and out of the characters. Some seasons are better than others, but it's so consistent with the audience. It is, and uh, you mentioned Saturday Night Live. That, that, it, that show, uh, you, you're absolutely right. It's gone through peaks and valleys. It's had some pretty rough seasons, but the last few years, and really, you know, I think it started to really dine out in the Donald Trump years. Yeah. Last year, it moved into the top 10 in Canada for the first time ever in 45 years. So that, uh, again, shows the power of the longevity of some of these uh, programs, and obviously with a cast that has really resonated with a uh, with a younger generation and brought them back to linear television. And post-pandemic, that was harder because they were stuck. They, they obviously had to cancel shows, then they were doing remote shows, and when you can finally get back in studio and, and have, you know, there were some great hosts at Willem Dafoe had a great uh, show. Um, bringing back old cast members was uh, was amazing as well. When they host Kristen Wiig's always great. I can't believe that's the first time it's been in the top 10. It's the first time. And um, and and it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we can now do catch up viewing. So people who, you know, might might have been out partying on a, a Saturday night before are still able to watch it on a Sunday. And that counts um, and puts it into the uh, the top 10. And it really does spread across uh, multiple generations. And it is one of the youngest skewing shows on the uh, on the global schedule. 
Troy Reeb is executive VP of Chorus Entertainment. He's joining us on Toronto today to talk about uh, the upfront that uh, Chorus will have and some of the new global shows for the fall. I mentioned it earlier also. There used to be like movies and TV and there was a clear delineation. You're not going to see movie stars do television. And whether it's streaming, whether it's just the homogenization of the uh, homogenization of the media, we get more of that. And when I see Susan Sarandon's involved in a show, even an animated show, I'm thinking that's something that probably wasn't going to be the case 10, 15 years ago. She wouldn't she wouldn't want to do that. She wouldn't get enticed to do that. But she's found a project with one of her sons. She really is embracing here. Yeah. And it's a um, you're absolutely right to, to bring big movie stars global. Uh, we picked up for this fall two shows featuring Oscar winning actors. Uh, Susan Sarandon who's going to be the lead in a, a show called uh, Monarch, uh, which is about the you know, the first family of country music and all of the drama that goes behind the scenes and them. And, it's, and don't get me wrong, this is not a country music show. This is a show about family infighting and dynasty. It's kind of like succession in that way. Um, and uh, and then Marsha Gay Harden, also an Academy Award winner, yeah. uh, is the lead in a new show called So Help Me Todd that we're going to be adding to the schedule this fall. And uh, this is a really quirky one. It was CBS's favorite show of the, um, of the screenings. Uh, last month, and it really is, um, you know, kind of a blend of a drama and a comedy. It, it's it's kind of like the old moonlighting, um, but rather than having a romantic pairing, this is a mother and son of the, uh, you know, the one's really uptight, one's really awkward and klutzy, but gets the job done. All you need to say was it's like moonlighting. That that Sybil Shepherd, Bruce Willis, you would talk about that unresolved sexual tension the next morning <laughs> in high school. That was a big deal. Those yeah, were- we don't want to talk about that in a mother-son <laughs> relationship, but let's just make that clear. <laughs> and so she's, so she's in an anime. She's doing two shows for Fox, but we've got Monarch. Movers is an f- animated show yes. she's doing with Fat Joe, but Monarch's on Global. Monarch's on Global, yeah. And we should probably explain what the upfronts are. There. Yeah. So we, we're having our upfront today here at Chorus Entertainment, and that's where we unveil the fall schedules, because the fall is the big TV season still, all these years later, um, and talk about all the exciting new shows that are coming. It comes after, you know, my team and I go down to L.A., and we do nothing but watch television for 10 days straight which sounds like it would be a really awesome job. (laughs) But you know all those bad TV shows you start to watch and you turn off after 15 minutes? Well, we have to sit through all of them. So, um, and it, and it still is an awesome job. Do you think our program director can listen to all the talk radio on 640 Toronto every day, five days a week? I bet you she can't. I bet you Amanda can't do that. She tries really hard. She tries really hard. Um, I noticed this as well, and I'm getting out of that demographic with teenagers now, but for the top five English kids specialty stations for kids TV, it's always been like that, hasn't it? Uh, Chorus's Kids Network have, have just been so consistent with new shows, traditional favorites. And I walk into other houses now where they have five, six, seven year olds and and those are the shows that are on and a lot there's a new gremlins the secrets of uh, mogwai we were just talking about how it debuted in the summer of 84 in theaters um there's a lot of new kids shows for kids of that demo you know and it's amazing because um a lot of people talk about how you know kids are you know this is the digital generation uh, you know from the, the minute they can pick up anything they're picking up devices and able to click buttons and and make video play and audio play but to have curated kids' services like Treehouse, like YTV, like the Disney Channel, that's still so important to parents because God knows what your kids are clicking on if you're putting them into the unfiltered <laughs> environments of YouTube, correct? And, um, and, and that's why these channels remain so popular, that uh, they continue to serve up quality, safe children's content 
one show after another and um, keep both kids and families engaged. Uh, and all these shows are available on uh, the Stack TV app, which people can find, obviously, with a, you know, a, a fire stick. Uh, you know, it, they're easy to find. And all these special networks, including the W Network, uh, show up there. That leads me to asking how, how you've, seen, you've seen TV change a ton in the last three years. Has the pandemic and the changing technology and the changing habits sort of amalgamated to provide like a just just totally different options? People want what they want when they want it. That that Stack TV app provides that. But yeah, you, we're talking now about conventional television. How much have you seen those sort of sand shift those last these last few years? Well, look, us in the in the TV business, there's been lots of wringing of hands over the last decade as we've seen uh, players like Netflix, Disney Plus come in. They have taken audience um, and they offer some great programming. But what we've really seen is people coming back to the linear TV environment. Global's primetime ratings were actually up 28% year over year last fall. And even inside of Stack TV, which is our streaming service, which bundles together all of the great content that we have, and you can get it through uh, either Amazon Prime Video or Rogers Ignite, 55% uh, uh, of the viewing inside of that is to live TV channels. People are actually flip clicking on the live mm -hmm. channel. They're not going to play, choose their own episode and play it. So there is a real appetite. As much as people love to choose their own shows, they also love to just put on a channel, lean back and, and let it flow over them. Um, because there is so much great content out there. And the one thing that um, was clear to us during these recent Los Angeles screenings is that there's still so much great TV to be had. And uh, I think our job as networks, so you mentioned W Network, Global, mm -hmm. Showcase, all these great uh, channels that we have, is to help people find the best of the best. I think we hit on the news cycle as well. And just go back to last Thursday's election coverage on Global and the news cycle's never been more intense. There's never been more. We we constantly deliberate, you know, d uh, d debate rather when to play the breaking news. Sanders is this really breaking news. Is it something we can wait a few minutes on? But Thursday night's a great example of people tuning in live, wanting results, wanting to find not just the the macro, the big picture. What's the premier going to say? But who's the MPP in your riding, your mom's riding? Like it's that kind of live TV. I know politics is your background, and and you're probably your first love when it comes to journalism, but that stuff's still so important to people. And, and it's moving so fast. It's moving faster than ever. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I think that the, the global news team has really focused on making sure that they can be there around the clock. Yes. When there's a big event like the election on, we take over the full global TV schedule, but uh, the reality is you can get global news 24 seven around the clock on our live streaming news channels. Uh, and, uh, and those are available for free either through the global TV app, through uh, prime video uh, and multiple other places. In fact, we're going to announce even more distribution of those live streaming 24, seven free news channels today uh, because we have to have Canadian news in the sea of all of these foreign options. We have to be able to hear our Canadian stories. We have to be able to hear our local stories. Today is a uh, course up front talking about some of the new shows on the fall lineup. Uh, a lot will be made of it and we'll, uh, I know we'll advance some of those shows and we're going to, uh, we're going to chase uh, some of these big guests. We're going to try for a, for a Susan Sarandon phoner. Uh, let's put it that way uh, in September. It's Troy Reeb. He is, of course, the executive vice president of Chorus Entertainment. Thank you for being in studio with us. I know you're making the rounds, but thanks for spending some extra time with us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I, and I do have to, but you know, I have to sell my favorite show of the screenings. Let's do you, it. You watch a hundred different TV shows. There's one that we've got coming this fall to showcase called The Lazarus Project. It's actually a UK show um but it's absolutely amazing time travel secret agent stuff it is um you know just those two things could make it sound a bit corny but it is so well done so well acted the special effects are off the charts and it blew me away what is what did it start to remind you of something you've seen before you i don't think it reminds me of anything yeah it's I've pretty unique before. that way it's eh? really really unique 
And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a lover of the spy genre. It's got a little bit of that. Uh, it's got some sci-fi in it and just fantastic quality acting. You were making me think Voyagers meets X-Files meets yes, stuff yeah, like got, that a little bit. Yeah, it's, um, and it's really fascinating, fascinating because you'll see these characters that they have just turn from good guy to bad guy and back again, which is, it's just going to be so fun to, uh, to roll out. I like those twists. The twi- most I, talked about uh, show that we saw. I'm still not over V not getting a second season in 1984. <laughs> that that <laughs> Mark Singer could act, man. When that. they peeled those faces off and you saw the aliens? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, exactly that. Troy, thanks very much for doing this. Always a pleasure, Greg. Troy Reeves, Executive Vice President of Chorus Entertainment. Outside of Justin Bieber and Drake, I think everybody, at least in terms of popularity, ability to sell out. Uh, as Dave Bradley calls it. I love the name. And now I use it around the house, so he gets the trademark and he gets the royalties. The Skosh. Justin Bieber and Drake can sell out the Skosh with the snap of a finger, multiple nights. I mean, they're Canadian artists that can do that. There's there's artists that can. Coldplay comes, they can do that. Um, there's no, Taylor Swift comes, she can do that also. It's not as many bands that you 2 yeah, absolutely. U2 hasn't been back here uh, since the Joshua Tree Tour. They haven't been here in five years. Um, now, nobody's really been anywhere for most of the last two and a half years, and that gets to the crux of the discussion of Justin Bieber canceling shows. Canceled at 2 o'clock yesterday, put out a statement on Instagram. Fans were upset by it, and we'll hear from one of those fans in a sec, but I thought this part was really fascinating. He, on his own Instagram on Sunday, going into a Sunday evening show in the Motor City in Detroit, Michigan, uh, Motown, he he says this about how he's starting to feel, and it was a bit of a harbinger of what was going to happen with the Toronto shows last night. And tonight, here's him before the Detroit show, a couple hours before it, as a matter of fact. So I've been uh, feeling like crap all day. I've been like, my throat has been killing me. Um, don't have any anything. I got tested for everything, so you guys are good. I'm not, I'm not spreading anything. But... Um, you know that feeling where you're just like overwhelmed? You're like, man, like I, God, I feel like you're you're telling me to do this, to do these shows, and that now I'm getting sick, and I'm like really frustrated with you because I'm like, you're not giving me what I need. It's just frustrating, and I know that we all have those moments, and, and those are, that's just kind of where I'm at today, but uh, I've just been pressing in and, and just knowing that, uh, you know, He's with us, and he's close to us, and he loves us, and and that that encourages me. I think, so, okay, I think two really interesting things about those comments. One, it does make me think how long Bieber's been doing this. And I know, you know, the propensity to mock him and rip him, and maybe we're not taking this as seriously, but I would, because he's been caring. He's not in a band also. He's carrying the weight of 18,000 people a night, who paid good money, or their parents did, to go to these gigs, okay? And I love I love live music. I have certainly been canceled on before. I'm trying to think if I have with five hours of notice. Not necessarily, and not in the modern era. But I don't doubt he's getting worn down. Look, you're probably in a band for a band that makes it 10 years with a lot of success playing arenas or even, even you know, 5,000-seat venues is rare in this day and age. Bieber is a rarity. Lots have come after him, and they're not around now. A few came before him, and they sure aren't around now. So there's a lot. He's 28, and it feels like he should be 33 because he's been just so omnipresent in Canadian culture. 
It's not for me, but I know enough people that are into Justin to know that this matters. Um, one such fan was uh, chatting with our executive producer, Jason Chapman. Her name's Lindsay, and Jason started with the question that had to be asked how she was feeling about the news. of This is her third time, by the way, uh, that she's been uh, canceled on, in essence, by Justin Bieber. I mean, a major bummer. We've been waiting for like three years. It was immediate text to our little friend group that was planning to go. Um, a little bit of shock, honestly. We were like, this has to be a joke. But um, no, it's like disappointment. And just we've obviously been waiting for so long. It's been canceled like three different times. So definitely disappointment. We had like a whole night planned. We we're going to go out for dinner. Um, yeah, so just just disappointment, a little bit of sadness. But I mean, it's going to be rebooked, so it's all okay. <laughs> okay, now talk three different times his show I has think, been canceled? So this is the third, I think. So it was like, I think we bought in 2019 and then canceled because of COVID and rebooked to 2021, canceled because of COVID, and then now it's canceled. For, so this is the third time. <laughs> now, it's going to be rebooked. Are you optimistic it'll happen the fourth time? <laughs> I am. I am fully optimistic. Not if you ask the rest of our, our friend group chat. Um, I don't think others are very optimistic, but no, I have faith. I believe in Justin Bieber, and I feel like we will definitely get the, the show that we deserve, if not the best show. So I'm confident it will be rebooked. So you are a uh, bona fide believer. Is that true then? I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself, a, call myself that, but yes, I guess I am. <laughs> What is it about Justin Bieber? And I'm not, you're 27. What is it about Justin Bieber that still appeals to you? Uh, because, I mean, he's not the sweet little boy that we met on the, the, the stage all those years ago singing Baby Baby. So why are you still hoping to see this man in concert? Um, I mean, I think we grew up with him. So we're sure, I guess we're exposing that I'm 27. Um and yeah, I mean, like all of my friends, we grew up with him. We were fans when like we're the same age as him. So in high school, he was like, like the big shot. And I don't know, it's just kind of fun. And also like we've been cooped up for the last three years. So it was like a big, exciting night to go out and see Justin Bieber. I mean, like he has great songs and we all love him. And it's more of like brings all of our friends together. Um, I think like at 27, we're not, you know, die hard anymore but it's more of like a fun girls night to go like sing some songs go out for dinner beforehand and just have a good night let me ask you this do you think his uh fame will continue until he's in his 30s and 40s and 50s does he have that sort of star power that lasts forever i i honestly think he does <laughs> and i may be biased but no i think he does like yeah, there's definitely something about him. And I think, again, like, <laughs> I feel like we're old, but, um, like, we obviously watched him go through, like, different, you know, I guess grow up with us. I don't know. I feel like every generation has that. So I feel like, I don't know, at 27, we're, like, old to be going to these concerts. But if you look back in the day, there was always, like, I don't know, a band or someone that people, our parents were, like, dying over or excited about. And, um I don't know, you kind of like evolve and grow with them. <laughs> so I, this is a, I mean, it's a bit of a personal question, not really though. What, to get into Scotiabank Arena and watch Justin Bieber, what is a reasonable about a reasonable amount of money somebody has to pay to get a ticket? Reasonable? Like what's like... that, like what's the, what's an average ticket cost to go see Bieber today? 
Um, to be honest, I don't know because we bought our tickets like three years ago, and I think in 2019, I want to say for like 150. So, and we we're not like I think we're in like section 300. We're not anything like close, but 150 is not terrible. Um, like we were looking at other concerts lately that were like way more expensive um for like that kind of seat so i don't know if that's changed and like i don't know if covid's had any impact on it but 150 for like i don't know a pretty big concert i feel like it's not bad at all all right and you're not tempted to sell that ticket at all for like i don't know three four hundred bucks if somebody were willing to pay it for you when <laughs> no. he rebooks no not at all i'm more about it being a fun night out with my friends so i don't really care to make money off of it all right. So how are you feeling knowing that a re, uh, you, you'll try and do this a fourth time? That, that, that you, How are you feeling now knowing that you you weren't there last night, but that you you will get to go eventually? How are you feeling about it all night right now? Oh, like so excited. I mean, it was obviously disappointing and like it turned out to be such a beautiful day. So I feel like everyone was like kind of hyped to go and it would have been an amazing night. But I'm like so excited for whenever it does get rebooked. I will be disappointed if it's rebooked for 2023. I really hope it's not that far away, but but no, like, I don't know. I think anyone that's upset about it right now, I understand why, but um, I feel like as soon as we know when it's rebooked for, everyone's going to get excited again. All right, that's Lindsay, uh, who hopefully was listening to her own interview this morning as a new listener to Toronto today. That's Jason Chapman chatting with her. I enjoyed that. I'm telling you, now that I know also it's it's best friend day, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm happily married guy, but Lindsay and I could go to shows together. She knows what she's talking about. Like, and there is that loyalty factor. Like the best comparison I could give is, is Guns N' Roses for a bunch of years. Axel would not show up, cancel a gig. It starts two hours late. And Guns N' Roses fans loved Guns N' Roses. Those first three albums, I mean, Appetite and then the Use Your Illusion albums. But you were ticked off because you didn't know whether those tickets were going to hold. And and a friend of mine, a roommate, bought tickets um, in a classified ad. I think he paid like 180 bucks per $30 ticket. And then when that show gets canceled, you know, you know where I'm going with this. There's no recourse. He's stuck with tickets that are only worth $30. You can't find that guy from the classified ad. It's it's buyer beware with some of these shows. And obviously, a lot of people spent a lot of money to see Bieber yesterday and tonight, and it didn't end up working out. Thanks so much for listening to Toronto Today. We're back with a live show tomorrow on Thursday. You can hear it on the Radio Player Canada app or at 640toronto.com or conventionally on the AM dial at 640 AM. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.